This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Simon Taylor, a founder and CEO of mobile and web-based exercise prescription application called Rehab Guru. Simon's frustrations as a health practitioner dealing with clunky paper-based exercise rehabilitation programs led to a pivotal moment in his life, causing him to embrace his inner software developer and launch a startup. Rehab Guru is empowering practitioners to reimagine their clients' healthcare experience by bringing together the digital and the real world for clinical care and outcome measurements. Let's jump in. Well, hey, Simon, how are you today? I'm really good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure to have you on board. I wanted to have a bit of a chat with you today about um, what you're doing at uh, Rehab Guru, a little bit about your background, the backstory, what led to the foundation and the formation of Rehab Guru. You want to share that with us? Yeah, sure. So it was really born from frustration and uh, really, really born from the delivery of exercise rehab within this kind of clinical setting where we would have to give out programs of, we would call them specifics. So people would come and join us for a three-week rehab course. And so this is in the in the Ministry of Defence in, in the UK. And um, we would have these huge filing cabinets of photocopied exercises and, and pictures that we've taken on digital cameras and things. So it was, you know, there's got to be a better way. So it was it was born from that. And with my own kind of leaning towards tech, we developed the solution. So that's really where it's kind of grown from there. And with the um, Defence Force, I think you had a little bit of uh, lived experience. Were you involved with the Royal Air Force in the UK? Yeah, yeah. And um, in fact, I, I'm, I'm still in there. I, I run Rehab Guru as my kind of part-time CEO ship and, and the team around that are um, kind of driving it forwards. But I was a, an exercise rehab instructor, which is initially a, a physical training instructor and then specialized in sports rehab. And we would work as part of a multidisciplinary team, physios, podiatrists, surgeons, and exercise rehab instructors. That's where I honed my kind of clinical practice. What was the sort of the pre and post rehab guru kind of lived experience that you were dealing with a multidisciplinary crew, you're sharing information, presumably in those um, frustrating ways that you were just describing. And so how was the transitioning coming about and what triggered that? Was there somebody sort of uh, within the group that thought it'd be a good idea or were you sort of sitting there thinking we need to do things differently? There was a, a couple of us um, physios that were working within this, this kind of regional rehab centre. This is sort of 2008, so we're looking best part of a decade ago where yeah. tech really wasn't as accessible as what it is now. I'm sure if it was done now, we would have probably just shared exercises in a WhatsApp group or something. But it was really looking at, right, how can we streamline this workflow? We would have an admissions day where we would literally have a full day of assessments and then us putting together these exercise plans in, in paper format. So it was really born out of a huge amount of time invested in this. And then when it came to progressing the exercise programs, you would be literally unclipping the files 
removing a piece of paper, grabbing another one out of the filing cabinet and, and, and putting it back in. So huge amounts of time wasted. And also from the perspective of the patient or the, or the client, they're effectively reading a photocopied piece of paper. It's not the most engaging experience for them. At the time, we didn't have any access to tech. No one was a developer. So we were sort of reaching out to people to try and make something like this. So yeah, that's really how it came about. And 10 years later, I think we're getting pretty close to what we envisaged back then. But it's been a, a lot of hard work in kind of growing it. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's a couple of things that come to mind as I'm hearing you share your story there. There's that old adage of uh, overnight success. I've heard variations on how long it actually is, but, you know, it used to be sort of overnight success is about 25 years. But I think in a, <laughs> in a more contemporary digital world, it's probably about 10 years. So uh, yeah. you've got to put the hard yards in, obviously, at first. One thing you were touching on there, which um, really resonated with me, was the client experience, you know, the what the patient's experience was like and how that sort of two-dimensional photocopied piece of content or information, you know, what that was perceived like from the client's point of view and, you know, where it's at now. Do you want to sort of give us a bit of a perspective on what kind of experience is offered to them now? Yeah, so I'll, I'll cover off some of the, the learning experience that we've done in this kind of uh, this feature as well so tech enables us to open up this kind of two-directional flow of information so that the client can also feed back to the therapist sort of between two-week appointments so that, that's the first thing that, that tech's opening up secondly is the ability to actually make something look and feel really high quality so if people attribute the quality of something by how it looks be that uh, a you know a nice car a nice watch or whatever they see walking down the high street we have to really conform to that kind of human nature if something looks really good looks really high quality then it's far more likely that they will engage with it the compliance with that program will be far higher so i think that the quality is a huge part of it as well and then lastly is improving the workflow of the clinician so if we're working in, in the digital space, it's far quicker. It is far more malleable and pliable so that we can just grab what we prescribed last time, progress, regress the program. And that is between appointments. It doesn't have to be a, a handing over of paper. And coupled with that, you're able to take that digital prescription and either store it in, in notes, you can publish it in a number of different ways. So we are looking to cater for everybody from the, you know, those that are completely au fait with downloading an app and digesting things digitally to those that have to download the PDF and, you know, print it out in clinic. So there's a number of steps along that way in, in, in catering for people in, in today's digital age. You kind of can't jump in and expect everybody to be you know, grabbing their iPhone and, and downloading the app. So there's a lot to cover within that spectrum. But as we move further towards people uh, digesting digital programs, then it's just opening the doors to, to far better healthcare because of the, you know, the data that we can get back, but also the experience that's given to the patient and the client. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, that's a big part of the challenge of where health tech and um, reality um, meet the persona that you're designing for is not always crystal clear to you at the outset. You put something out into the wild and then you start to realise that um, the human beings that are interacting with it uh, don't sort of fit the usability framework that you would expect. 
And I think you're starting to deal with that at the moment, aren't you, where your uh, your service is being used by areas uh, where disability exists and is being treated. Um, Do you want to sort of talk through the UX feedback and how you're responding to that kind of idea? First, it's probably easy for me to to cover where, where I sit in the business, and that is part therapist having been in the trenches and, and lived that experience as a clinician and then secondly as the, the kind of technical lead having studied the digital side of things so I, I come at things with this really kind of mixed sometimes tormented agenda where I'm looking after the clinicians but I also want to drive forward on on the tech front and well this is certainly an area that web development and app and digital in general has really kind of fallen behind is that is sort of accessibility features. So looking after those with disabilities, enabling them to access the websites, the apps that everybody else does that that doesn't have a disability. So a really well-made website should cater for screen readers, should be able to have its font size increased and so on to, to, to help people. And that is an area that I think has been been neglected. So we are sort of really doubling down on the accessibility features of our client facing and also therapist facing products so that the apps can be used by everybody. And that, that is a challenge because you have um, a lot of hurdles to overcome in the kind of screen space. So for example, if you are working on, a, on an iPhone, then you want to blow the text size up times four, then you very quickly run out of space. So yeah. we work really hard in the design phases on that to make accessibility a, a kind of a primary driver in, a, in all of our development. I think it's a really important uh, cooperation actually between everybody involved in healthcare. I think it's, um, you know, from a uh, health tech X community standpoint, we see the convergence between you know, four distinct groups of people that need to be able to cooperate in order to really optimise how health tech supports and um, really delivers some improvements in the way that um, healthcare services are delivered. I've got this analogy in my head that is kind of, you know, that that saying, is it art imitating life or life imitating art? And, uh, you know, tech's kind of like that. You know, when, when you go out and you're very user-centric, um, obviously you're interviewing and you're talking to subscribers, you're talking to people who are using the, the technology. And... Um, they're informing your um, your requirement gathering based on, you know, where they're at, you know. So if their lived experience up to that point in time expects certain things in the user interface to look and be placed and be laid out in a certain way, then you can deliver that and it's reflecting back to them what they think they need. But it yeah. may not be an improvement. It may just be the status quo just with, a you know, a different colour theme and um, <laughs> and font choices do you sort of experience that? I know you're very web focused and, and um, you like the, you know, more than like it, you love the design process. So what are you seeing when you kind of hear the client sort of feedback and say, I would like it to be like this, but as a developer, you might see another way to do it, which could actually make things better, not just for them, but also for their, for their patient. Yeah, absolutely. And you see this convergence of these different backgrounds and and experiences. So you've got developer experts who may well not know anything greatly about healthcare. Then there is the healthcare professional that may not fully understand what is technologically possible. And it sometimes leads to some short-sightedness on the the healthcare professional because they really just don't know what is available. And we have our own internal conflict with this within Rehab Guru. So we've got physios on the team and we'll be talking about a, a certain feature. And 
it'll be like, we could just do it like this. We could do it just like Google, for example, like the, the search side of things. So you try and search for an exercise. Things are named different things all over the world and you just don't get a good experience because we're not Google. And then the technical side is thinking, right, how can we, how can we tag? How can we label things in order to improve the experience? So it is incredibly difficult. And I see that there will be these people that will, will become either very highly paid or, or, or hugely demanded is those that can have a foot in, in both camps as we, as we drive digital health forwards to be able to convey the, the message to the developers, but also translate and work back the way to understand what the solution looks like and also understand what solutions there are available. As we move forwards with, with digital health, those people will become the, you know, the real linchpins of, of, of digital. I think, you know, based on where I'm sitting at the moment, I think it's pretty rare to find a 360 degree view within, within an individual. You know, it's sort of, um, in my mind, it's, um, it's co-creation and co-design, but in an organic, interactive way where, um, you know, the patient and the practitioner um, have a, um, a relationship around the goals of the patient. And, um, you know, the traditional model of healthcare is, um, you know, our healthcare location is here and these are the services we provide from here. And when we're providing healthcare services, you need to come here and you need to work with the process that we have here um, because it suits the way that we run our business and the way that we actually operate our healthcare. Whereas um, if we invert that and say, well, you know, what does that look like if you sit as a patient or as a, a receiver of healthcare services? And, uh, you know, here is anywhere. You know, it could be yeah. in, their, you know, in their home. It could be out in the park. Yes, it could be in a clinical setting. Um, it could be in a workplace setting. Um, it could be in, in a car parked by the side of the road. You know, wherever the human being is, the recipient of the healthcare services, that's uh, probably, uh, in my view, uh, an idea of where, where the healthcare setting is, you know, going forward. And the technology then has an opportunity to actually deliver healthcare in and around that person's lived experience. You know, and there was, there was something you said earlier about um, the user experience and how that, was, um, how that was enhanced because you were extending the look and feel was easier to engage with and there was a higher level of engagement and commitment to actually following that through. And you were sort of relating that to what happens before and after the appointment as well. So you're dealing with an empowering framework where the individual's the centre of their healthcare experience. They can marry up, you know, when they're attending a, another location, but also where, wherever they happen to be and happen to be working through those exercise prescriptions, they're able to actually build the healthcare service around their particular lifestyle. Do you share that sentiment or do you have a, a, a different view on it? I absolutely share that, that sentiment. And um, we've been really naming this thing, elongating the care pathway, so that we are looking at a number of opportunities where you can influence the client or the patient, whether that is through a, a digital platform. And that, that certainly seems like the best way to go because you're not creating a very expensive resource intensive appointment. And like a typical workflow for us, which is what we're aspiring to is before the appointment, is there a pre-activity questionnaire? Can you start to gather the data on this person's injury or medical condition well before the appointment so that you've actually got some evidence and some data to be able to work with when you actually get hands-on on the patient? So that is elongating the kind of care pathway to, to the left. 
And it might not be that you even have to have a, a face-to-face appointment. It could be that you deliver your you know, kind of care at first contact. That could even be digital telehealth and, and so on. So it might not even end up being a face-to-face appointment. So that's elongating to the left. Then you've got this kind of middle ground where you would have the traditional kind of first contact initial uh, appointment and an assessment. If you've elongated to the left, then you've got so much more data to be able to to work with and actually make informed decisions so that you can influence either the patient during the session and let them leave with something that they can elongate out with to, to the right. So they leave with something could be videos that they've recorded during the session. And I'm specifically talking kind of uh, musculoskeletal injuries, physio kind of setting here. They could leave with a fully coached digital program that they can work with uh, as they leave the clinic. Then we look at how are they progressing with that? You could check in with them digitally so that you can monitor their pain, their adherence, their wellness scores, rate of perceived exertion, and progress or regress that program remotely. So they don't have to wait two weeks for their next appointment or whenever they would see their therapist next. That is the patient-centered approach. But then we've got uh, some, of the, some of the real challenges that we're dealing with in, in the UK is, is the financial constraints of delivering healthcare. The NHS is probably famed around the world for how you can uh, sort of receive free free healthcare, as it were. But it's really, really struggling. The idea of health tech doesn't, strictly speaking, need to only concern itself with the clinical outcome. I mean, that's obviously at the centre of the healthcare uh, yeah. practice. But you also have to be financially sustainable, and um, you know you have to think about how you marry up supply and demand, and you know and. There used to be this sort of criticism in some ways of um, chiros who would have, you know, multiple beds simultaneously happening and walking between spaces. And, you know, and, and dentists, you know, they'd run multiple chairs and sort of moving between spaces. <laughs> and I suppose, you know, um, when you think about it, uh, if you're that much in demand, you've got to scale. You've got to actually try and figure out how you're going to meet the demand. And Absolutely. so, you know, when, when you're sort of dealing with a rehab guru and you've got this kind of idea where, you know, you can have a um, lower physical input in terms of your time and effort whilst releasing the client and empowering them to be able to take that therapy plan with them and check in with you. And so all of a sudden you are scaling yourself from a, you know, personal exertion standpoint, you know, having this relationship of um, traditionally one-to-one with the therapy now you're one to many, you know, you can, whatever that ratio is, one to four, one to seven, you know, I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure whether, you know, this is resonating with your own uh, perspective, yeah. but yeah, is that, is that kind of where you're going with it? Absolutely. Yeah. That you, you put that far more eloquently than, than I was butchering the, uh, the description of it, but uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what we're, what we're meaning by that. Um, and it benefits everybody, you know, whether that is on the financial side, but also patient and client experience. Um, if they're able to get the instant answers that they need, whether that is in two-way communication with their therapist, or if their scores that are being registered in the in our space, we would use our client app where people are following their exercise program on the client app, they report a pain score of a eight or nine out of 10. Those kind of things can alert the therapist and go, hang on, I need to intervene here. Let's adjust things so that 
you're actually able to intervene far earlier in that treatment process and hopefully look after the patient. So there is this push and pull of information rather than just waiting until the next appointment. I think it's a really important point. And um, it kind of, I never had that relationship with um, the exercise prescription um, extension of, uh, you know, a, a practice uh, or a clinical setting. We should unpack it a little bit. It's sort of, you know, is there sort of some data that you're generating? And if there's not, that's fine. But we could talk conceptually. But, you know, the idea that, you know, traditionally uh, prior to a rehab guru, for example, you know, your input into delivering outcomes for um, for a client would be based on, you know, for example, if you had a treatment plan that involved 10 sessions, for example, or 10 appointments, and those appointments were, for example, half an hour in duration, then you're physically inputting 10 times 30-minute sessions into that outcome. And you're being paid a, a fee, uh, you know, per session. But uh, if, for example, you could input, for example, that half an hour every third appointment or every fourth appointment. And then in between the the rehab guru digital health extension is basically empowering the client to take on that, the value of that treatment plan that's embedded in the technology. Then the physical labor that's needed to be input into those in-between appointments when you compare it to the traditional sort of model, they're not half an hour. They might be a five-minute check-in or a 10-minute check-in or something along those lines, at which point you're lowering the input cost whilst receiving fees that are greater than or, or similar to what you'd otherwise get, maybe a little bit less, but the ability to maximize the financial management of that treatment plan seems to me to be an unspoken you know, potential on how, how the business of healthcare could actually benefit from using digital health technology. Yeah, we've really taken most of our experience from delivering at, at scale from the Ministry of Defence. So they have about 800 clinicians that are all using Rehab Guru. And because people get deployed, they work at remote locations, they could be anywhere in the world and they're still under rehab remotely through, through Rehab Guru. So that's where we've seen the kind of proof of concept that people can still continue on with their rehab program without having to have physical uh, contact or a one-to-one -one, uh, relationship. That's where we see that it, it absolutely does work. I think you broach a really interesting point on the kind of cost. So there is this interesting thing of, of clinicians and, and physios being in business, in, in private practice, because they're healthcare professionals. They should be delivering healthcare for the good and benefit of, you know, of who they want to treat. And it's interesting when you start to put a business slant on this, it starts to really become distasteful that people will be like, you get more appointments, you get more revenue and things. And I think it's an interesting dynamic as to how do we tackle that? It is patient-centered care. So how can you deliver the best care for them? Is that through one-to-one -one appointments that they feel like they are looked after? Because the patients and clinicians, they, they love one-to-one -one meeting they they may seek value from that whether that is just to have, have spoken about their their injuries or their challenges they feel like that's what they're paying for so i think that there's a, a lot of uh, challenges for us to overcome with this both on the you know what we charge for a remote appointment what we charge for an ongoing care between those appointments is that part of the original cost is it an all-up treatment plan. So I've, I've never seen a really good model for how you would manage that, but there's certainly some kind of challenges to go. 
Absolutely. And I, and I think you touch on a common attitude here in Australia as well, where, you know, once you start talking business, it all becomes a little bit, um, you know, difficult. But, you know, it's very difficult to help people achieve healthcare outcomes when you're broke or when you can't keep up with um, cash flow demands on the business. So I think it's improving in some areas where, you know, I see some areas around allied health where the concept of working on the business has um, taken and it's very strong and the ethos around it is very good. But there's also other factors as well. The determinants of healthcare are becoming more complex. You know, the uh, data points that are needed to be able to get informed on how to actually deal with population health management is becoming more sophisticated. And also there's a lot of migration around the Western world. You know, there are a lot of uh, the populations are growing. And so, you know, you've got a healthcare system that's um, feeling the uh, impact of having demand put upon it. And um, at some point there's only a certain amount of... Um, registered and trained professionals out in the industry who can provide services. And so, you know, if you want to keep the client top of mind, you need a financially sustainable healthcare system that allows people to have the comfort and space to be able to do their best clinically without being stressed out on whether they're, you know, keeping the cash flow going or being paid enough I think that will resolve itself over time. I think it needs a kind of a reimagination there. You know, there's a there's an innovation potential in the idea of how we how we embrace the convergence of the business model with yeah. the delivery of the healthcare service and do that in a sustainable way, both in terms of the client outcomes, in terms of the population health metrics, in terms of the individual satisfaction of the patient and the practitioner. And it's a model that's actually adapting to the progress that we're making in life. You know, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of just thinking about myself, uh, you know, there are times where I, I don't go and see a health practitioner when, you know, I know that I want to, but it's taking time out of my day. And, you know, if I could do it in a, in a way, and I know that empirically I'm a sample of one, uh, you know, but, um, but the point being that I'm sure there are, you know, generational changes happening. There's a younger cohort who just have grown up with remote relationships their digital relationships and whatever they want, they want it now. And, you know, and it's sort of, you can't do that one-to-one. -one. So I think, I think it's going to be forced to actually, you know, deal with that in some way. What are you seeing in the UK? We've got this real challenge of the kind of public sector of, of NHS. And then we've got the, the kind of private sector as well. And being on the sidelines and spectating what, what's, what's happening with these is, is really interesting because, in the National Health Service, you may well be kind of kept at, at arm's length. And um, anyone listening to this will probably be throwing spears at me over Twitter later <laughs> on. But when you're broken enough that you actually need healthcare, that you actually need to have, um, you know, an appointment, that's when you will sort of be triaged to have an appointment. Whereas in the kind of private sector, it might be like, oh, so you've got a little bit of a niggle, let's try and look after this in a preventative manner and practice some slow medicine so that you never get to the point where you do need the final big expensive kind of hip replacement. So it's a real challenge of understanding, will a low level appointment of just some advice, early doors, actually prevent them getting to the point where they need to have to have surgery and that's an extreme example but yeah. um so we, we see this difference between you know when you're really broken that's when we'll fix you which is probably far more expensive than yeah. tackling the problem and the and the root cause early on because there just isn't the resources to do that and then you know the kind of private sector where there is there is the finance and there is the funding to be able to have that 
early doors appointment and the time and the resources to be able to have that, then, you know, th- those people are probably going to have a far better quality of life because they've, they've been able to tackle the, the kind of problem at its root cause, all kind of anecdotal and really speaking quite conceptually, but that's what we um, spectate and that's what we observe in the UK. Over time, the data points will, will gather. And I think that goes to one of the other points that you're working on with uh, Rehab Guru. Uh, it's developing an evidence-based digital health approach. Do you want to share with us a little bit more about what and how the evidence is gathered and how that actually helps the practitioners with their patients? Yeah, we track a, a couple of, of data points and that is all done through the, the client app. So when you prescribe an exercise program to a patient, they can download our client app from the app store and then they follow along using that as their both their instructions their video guidance and all of the images so that they can maintain correct form and then they're able to give some feedback so that might be some notes back to the therapist saying you know when i do this exercise this causes me pain here but they can also score pain wellness scores and just from those sort of three areas of data you can start to make some really kind of data-led decisions. So all of that's reported and aggregated in the back end of the therapist app. So kind of got two sides, we've got the therapist app and then we've got the client app. So on the therapist side, they can see charts, graphs, and all of the data that they can track that over time. So it might be that they're they're scoring uh, consistently high pain scores on a particular exercise two days in a row. I can swap that out on day two and then re-prescribe the program and track it from there. That, that's a fairly simplistic view that you can track this on, on charts. But as you're starting to gather this data, we can then start to look at, right, how can we exploit this better? Can we look at rate of perceived exertion? Can we look at heart rates? Can we look at a number of different things in order to direct this person's care pathway? So I, I guess we're really at the, at the starting point and being a founder of a company, I'm, I'm never satisfied with, with where we are. We're always trying to headbutt the horizon. So yeah, as, as things stand, there is some really informative data that, that can help somebody's care pathway. I love it. And it's actually a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. I, I'm constantly trying to invert, you know, the view, you know, as a citizen, I want to see a healthcare system that cooperates, that works well together, that shares information well, that ultimately optimizes my chances of achieving my goals and success in, in, you know, maintaining health, you know, throughout the course of my life. I've been doing a lot of research around the, um, you know, PROMs and PREMs, you know, which I think are a couple of acronyms that are not as widespread with the allied health practitioner community here in, um, in Australia. But the idea of patient-reported outcome measures and the patient-reported experience measures, they seem to be emerging out of the academia uh, at the moment. And yet when I hear you describe the um, provider's input and the uh, patient's input into uh, Rehab Guru and how that actually optimises the information set that the clinician is working with, it sounds to me that, you know, that's what in effect you're doing. Is, is that sort of an acronym that you're familiar with, you know, the um, PROM and PREM? It's not, but it, it certainly is now and we'll, we'll be using that going forward. So, <laughs> um, I mean, outcome measures is something that we generally just package all of that into. Those that have got sort of 
evidential backing may well be a a questionnaire-based type thing. So whilst that is available and it is something that we will be rolling out in sort of Q4 of this year, where you've got these questionnaires, be it Oswestry or SPADI um, disability questionnaires. But I think that there is also a huge amount of uh, kind of information that can be gleaned from those that don't have evidential backing. You know, just somebody's experience, just somebody's wellness. And wellness is the capture-all kind of metric that we're using. You know, what even is it? But just how well somebody's feeling when they're doing this this particular exercise. And I think that that can give great insight into how they're progressing with their rehab. I've got a variety of relationships with those two acronyms. But um, from a tech standpoint, you know, in producing health tech, you know, I often think that the patient reported experience measure is um, not unlike, uh, you know, it's quite similar with the idea of a net promoter score, you know, yeah. in that um, you are providing a simple question to be asked. It's a qualitative uh, response, but what it elicits is engagement and feedback. And so the patient reported experience measure, you know, to be able to support and encourage the, the patient to say, hey, felt good today. Um, there's nothing overly uh, quantifiable about that, you know, aside from a... Um, the individual sense of zero to 10, you know, on whether it was a five or a seven or a three. But across the population, I think you start to develop a profile around the effectiveness of that particular uh, treatment plan and approach and the practitioner that's involved in it as well. That is reliable and it does have a good comparative between, you know, the person that you're currently treating versus the 250 people that you've previously treated using the same therapeutic approach. I don't think it's a, a radically new idea. I just think it's being reconstituted in terms of these acronyms and um, incorporating a client-centric approach to actually generating the data points around the experience. And, and the patient-reported outcome measure is something that I think is going to emerge really strongly in Australia around the uh, National Disability Insurance Scheme and the type of uh, client-centred care models that would develop in that space. So I was kind of intrigued when you were mentioning disability a little bit earlier, um, but we've got quite a enormous scheme that's um, expecting health practitioners to um, not just attend to clinical services, but also deal with uh, quality and safeguarding. There's a lot to unpack in that, but the idea of patient reported outcome measures is certainly at the heart of the evolution around sort of client-centred um, healthcare services. How are you seeing the uh, the UK experience with um, disability and I guess the um, challenges of dealing with people with disability and supporting them through their through their own stated goals and objectives. My own experience is pretty skewed on this because I worked for the Ministry of Defence sort of defence rehab services at a time when there was the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts going on. So my exposure to disability has been hugely skewed towards the care that those those injured troops would receive from the center of excellence and the money that was invested in their care, sort of amputee care. Um, so that's been been my experience and how well they can do the number of facets that go towards them being successful was, was huge from psychology to their surgeon's care to the wider activities of daily living and how they can reintegrate and get their lives back. I've not really been exposed to the the, the wider sort of care of, of, of those that are, that are disabled. But what I can see is that 
there is a, a huge amount of very different pieces that look after that whole puzzle. And I'm unsure if, if we do it well. And we're trying to sort of pull the levers that we've got at our, at our disposal. But this is where I'm, I'm sort of unsighted on something like, you know, a scheme like yours. I'm sure they exist, but it's not necessarily shouted from the roof, rooftops. And it's not something that we've, we've sort of been involved with. I kind of use the term, it's a little bit controversial in some ways, but it's kind of an industry under construction. There's a lot of uh, people coming to terms with what it actually means. Um, but I think it also mm. is a innovation potential that we've never seen in Australia, certainly because of the way that the Quality and Safeguarding Commission in Australia has built the, um, the framework to support a funding scheme that's really empowering the individual to assemble their own group of health practitioners and be able to state their own objectives and expect the healthcare providers to assist them with getting to those objectives. And so, you know, that multidisciplinary approach uh, is going to be a big part of it. That ultimately to me makes sense um, as a healthcare consumer, you know, I want to be able to have my healthcare providers interoperate with each other and to be able to coordinate mm. themselves. And they may not even know each other, you know, face-to-face -face or personally, but certainly digitally, I'd like them to have some kind of relationship that collectively enhances my chances of success, you know, because yeah. I've got a team around me, you know, and, um, and we're all working towards the goal. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's where I've seen the best care delivered is when you've just got this entourage of people that are able to collaborate in the delivery of, you know, of driving this person's care forwards. Fantastic. I'm going to ask you one more question just before we finish up. I'd like to get a vision from you around how you would reimagine healthcare essentially, you know, what do you foresee over the next five to 10 years? It's a difficult question because I'm kind of making little baby steps towards this this every day. So I've got the kind of coal face view and then I've got the kind of 10,000 foot view down on, on where I see things. The baby step view is that I see people having to drive forwards, either that or they're being left behind. So I see that clinicians of the, the old and bold generation of, you know, this is how we do it in my day, those will become less and less and unable to compete in the, the healthcare that people demand. And whether that is in the private or, or public sector, because the benefits of digital and, you know, be it technologies such as artificial intelligence or just digitizing things like medical notes and so on, then people are gonna have to get on board or, or get left behind. Where I see things going is that the delivery of healthcare is one, gonna hugely change. Uh, it will become far more open that people can access it from whenever and wherever they like at a time that suits them and also how long they will have to wait. So probably an appointment the same day, whether that's a digital appointment or actually traveling to, to see somebody. So all of those time constraints around care will be compressed. I also see that people become far more in control of their own care. And whether that is an option as to, as to who they, they see for their care, but also carrying with them their past data, their current metrics, their future options, all of that within their own hands is so that they can make informed choices. I, I see that that's where we're going to go rather than that data being held on a, on a health record system 
somewhere or in a filing cabinet somewhere. I think it'll become far more, not only patient-centered decisions and, and care, but also I think that they will hold much more of their own information. I agree. It's kind of that, um, a question uh, I like to ask rhetorically to kind of get the inspiration going is, um, you know, what would healthcare look like if it was based on, you know, the individual's personal life, schedules, goals, aspirations completely wrapped around them? And um, I I can see some shape emerging around, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, how digital does it. Now what we need is really digital health to meet the real world service delivery of healthcare and have an innovation attitude towards it to really experiment somewhat with uh, clients who are willing to work with the health provider to try new stuff and feedback into it and actually be part of that co-design of the healthcare experience. And then over time, you know, there, there will be a shape that will emerge and that will be the new thing that people value. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I think that experimentation is going to drive drive this forward hugely. And that is you know, in the tech world, we would have, you know, you've got to adopt this hacker's mentality and trying to, you know, move fast and break things. And I don't think moving fast and breaking things is is particularly good in healthcare because we don't want to break anything. But I think that putting something out there, then do review, apply, and just continue to iterate upon that yeah. is really what is going to drive things forwards faster. Unfortunately, the the architecture of current health systems don't allow that process of do review apply to happen. As soon as that is released and things have got a far more kind of dynamic nature to them, I think it will then really, really snowball and, and open up all of the great connectivity between clinical systems, some protocols that are coming online that are both geographically and also system agnostic so that people can share this type of data so once those those chocks are removed, it's really going to gather pace. Simon Taylor, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to have a chat with me. Really enjoyed your thoughts and input and congratulations on your uh, success to date and being able to manage your uh, very busy life with um, work and growing a startup and uh, family and uh, <laughs> cycling and doing uh, postgraduate degrees. Uh, you, you definitely... Don't shy away from uh, being busy and being productive. So well done, mate. And thank you very much for, for taking the time today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.